were you in 1980, Darren? On a Tuesday night. I was in a womb for a bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was... Oh, I was, I was well, you were born in 1980? I was. Get out. I was on a, on a cold, cold Sunday in January. So you probably missed the first six episodes of Ireland, a television history. Yeah. The TV event of the year at the time. <laughs> was it? What is it? I don't know if it was. Well, it's it's a 13 or 14 part history doco that was produced by the BBC and RTE. And I think it was the first comprehensive attempt to tell the story of Irish history. And it's presented by this guy, Robert Key, who's a writer and a historian. See Irish English uh, English um, just classic classic old school BBC presenter tweed jackets ties ludicrously posh accent um, that's the, the, that's the kind of voice you want the voice of authority yeah. you know, somebody T- telling us about somebody Irish history who is, somebody who's better than you yeah. and who's better educated yeah. and um, has taken time out from I love that meeting in my mind you've got, you got the RTE <laughs> producers and the BBC producers in a room alright and the host Yeah, and then they point at him <laughs> and he does have all the lads going <laughs> so uh, you know what's interesting about it is that well, there's lots of interesting stuff about it. First of all, it's like top-down history, so it's posh man telling the story. There's that. And it stands out pretty well, right? This is 40 years old. It's an older style of telling a historical narrative, right? But it works, you know? And what really struck me when I was watching it was like, so it's a co-production, but you can't escape the sense that this thing was put together to try and explain what the fuck is going on in Ireland to the British. Hmm. I mean, that's it seems like stamped in it, like the way that the, the script is structured and the way that the episodes are structured. It's just... And then, you know, you think about... So the, 1980 was yeah. pretty politically... Aye, so active. the Troubles are yeah. full on. It's a year before the hunger strikes, um, before the... Bobby Sands hunger strikes, mm-hmm. those hunger strikes. Um, there were actually hunger strikes in 1980, but and and um, so it, se- it seems to me like a really pretty adventurous, courageous bit of programming because they they really go out of their way to represent stuff fairly. I think I think it's I feel like it's really even handed. It's also just brilliantly written. I mean, y- you write, I've written a lot as well. We know how hard it is to convey complex information in a short space, you know, and this guy does it brilliantly. And how, he would, wrote uh, it. how would Tony Robinson have done? Tony Robinson would have done <laughs> it. Running up the bank of moments. 20 minutes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, what takes you down into that area of YouTube? How do you, how do you, like, it just it just arrived. It just arrived because I was watching an old, uh, actually, you know what I was watching? I was watching um, after we had spoken to Teresa O'Grady. And speaking to Elaine O'Sullivan about being Irish in England, I stumbled across a documentary called The Forgotten Irish or something. And it was a ITV documentary about old Irish folks living in, I can't remember if it was Manchester or Liverpool or somewhere like that. And it was these f- people who came over in the 50s and were now old age pensioners 
had no family left in Ireland. I had no family in England. Essentially, mostly old single men living in bedsits. Yeah. And it was stupendously depressing. But on the on the wee menu on the right hand side, after I'd finished watching that, was Ireland the television history. And suddenly I was back in our sitting room beside the fire with my mum and dad and my sisters. And also, like, nobody really, even at school, we never really got a proper telling of Irish history, right? We're in Ballycastle, we're in the north, we're at a Catholic school, but still it never really, it never really stuck in the way that this did. It was just like, um, it's there. And also, it's there on the TV, right? So yeah. you're living in the middle of this contemporary moment of historical ferment, right? And then you're having all this other violent history explained to you um so you know i guess it wasn't just explaining it to the to the british yeah it's yeah. explaining it to 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 some of us too right? yeah um, and i always forget that you didn't have rte in the north at that time like you didn't have irish media no it was mostly like you could probably get rte if you were down living in Uri and places like that yeah but yeah not, but not where, we were. where you were so that like to have even if the Irish were getting that education, which I'm sure, like, it was 1980, so I have no idea from personal experience, but from my education, I would imagine that the history was was taught a lot more. But if you're just getting the English version of Irish history in Ireland, that would have been a bit of a a moment, I can imagine, for a 12-year-old. Mm. Yeah, I, I really stunning. I mean, it stands out pretty well. Like, um, and, I, and I love history as a, I love history as a way of trying to, figure out the present state of where we're at you know um and i've always kind of had this i've always been really drawn to it so you know i, I love historians are just they just know shit that suddenly suddenly things that are incredibly confusing can just click into place and you're like oh this makes sense and that's what happens with that doco i imagine you know, yeah. it's just so did you did you go through all 13 no, actually, uh, I watched one with Elisa, and um, by episode two, subtitle, A Nation Once Again, she was asleep. <laughs> I was like, look, 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 you have to see this really yeah. posh man walking through Drogheda, look. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the really horrific stuff's coming. <laughs> Cromwell hasn't yeah. even arrived yet. So, Just, it, would you, I'm only going to mention it because it was a, I think I've mentioned it to you before, I don't know if I mentioned it on here, but this week, the right hand thingy on youtube mm -hmm. got me back watching videos of i wish i could remember his full name frank the guy who knocks down chimneys in like manchester and oh fred Divna. yes yeah and i was watching a whole stack of them again a whole stack of them fred Divna. um <sighs> for those of you who aren't familiar with him was a steeplejack and yeah. he used to blow up chimneys and he was a great he was a he did this whole range of TV shows about old traction engines. It used to be stuff. a Saturday morning, me and my dad. The only thing my dad pretty much could cook was a grilled cheese sandwich. And that's like bread with a slice of cheese <laughs> under the grill. Uh, Saturday morning, we'd be up the market. That's we'd have that and watch Fred some, some towers. So Fred Dibner, then he would, he would do, uh, he would um, knock out the um, foundation of a chimney and... He would prop it up with these wooden props and then he'd set fire to them 
and just and he and, would know. And he'd would, climb up. Minutes. And he'd, he'd go up. He'd go up them. Like he'd go up them while the fire was going. Have a look down, just make sure everything. And he would know within a few minutes. And he yeah. like so. You've got these towers, which are like you're talking twenty story, fifteen twenty story towers, with a huge hole knocked in one side. And he'd go over and like put his thumb in the gap that's starting to appear. Got about twenty minutes left. Yeah. I won't do the accent. <laughs> and then yeah, sure enough. Yeah. But what was really interesting too was the spectacle. You're talking hundreds, if not thousands, of people lining the perimeter at these events it was right. just like it was a thing to see he was he was just uh, he wore a cap always wore his cap mm-hmm. you know he never took his cap off and uh he was asked one time do you ever take your cap off he's no 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 i never take my cap off even in bed even in bed never take my cap off and he says well i did take it off one time because it i got a head infection <laughs> and so why did you get a head infection so well it, it fell in a tank and it had a few dead pigeons in it, a water tank, and I just took it out and wrung it out and put it in my head. But um, that's, so that's twice so it, technically. I had never heard of off. anybody having a head once in the tank <laughs> and once to get a cured from the tank. Right. All right. So shall we move on? Anyway, Fred Devna. Yeah. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of quality you get on a podcast like this. You know, nobody tuned in expecting to find out about England's greatest ever steeplejack. No, arguably. Arguably. And who knows where we'll get to in the outro. But so, let's get to today's guest. Let's get to the, today's guest because the Irish history stuff got me really thinking about some of the material that we chat with Anya Tyrrell today about. Uh, Anya is a singer-songwriter. She's originally from County Clare. She now lives in Australia. She's a really committed singer, as you'll hear. It's brilliant. There's so much energy. And uh, I, you know what? I'm not even going to preempt what we talk about. So let's just get into it. This is Anya Tyrrell. Should we go? Enjoy. Listen to the laws and the rights 
Terrell, welcome to the Berlani Pilgrims podcast. How are you? Thanks a million. I'm great. Thanks for having me. So what did we just hear? Uh, that's In This House. And um, I wrote that song after a conversation with a beautiful friend, an indigenous singer here, um, Dane Kennedy, about what a welcome to country meant to him. And uh, he was explaining it like a knocking on a door and how you just wouldn't rock up to someone's house without knocking and I suppose it resonated with me coming from Ireland we didn't have a lot of knocking either did we so um <laughs> yeah it kind of just like fell out of me that one and it's been a beautiful process that song of um sharing um, our culture you know Irish culture here in Australia and the conversations that 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 are have similarities to the indigenous community here as well was that something that you were very aware of before you moved to Australia? No, not at all. I mean, I I, I, I knew about Indigenous culture more in America, I suppose, and, and a little bit about here. But um, my dad, uh, Sean Terrell, had uh, d- done a lot of work um, on a man called John Boyle O'Reilly. And uh, he was a, a convict that was on the last, the Hougamont ship that came to Fremantle and, and Dad's done a lot of research on him. And so I knew about his relationship with the indigenous community in Fremantle when he escaped. And and so I knew that there was a connection between the Irish and the indigenous through my dad's stories of this for, for a really long time. And then um, stories about Tasmania and, and the, the connections down there as well. So I knew there was some connection between our two cultures, but it wasn't really until living here and, and getting to know more, I suppose, about the true history of this country and not just the one that is kind of taught through history books that um, that I learned a lot more, a lot more, yeah. And what was it? Were you actually seeking out American Indigenous um, studies before that or was that just an in, like an interest you had um yeah just uh, again through through some uh, of my dad's work and also my mom is American and so we were back and forth to America a bit and spent some time traveling around um different parts of America that that you wouldn't normally get to and um and getting yeah, to know right. the Native American cultures out there just through visiting and and again, seeing the other side of history, what what you've been taught, and then actually what exists out there, you know. So, Anya, you know, um, I was going to ask you about this um, after your yeah. thir- after your third song. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so we'll just uh, we'll just dive in. Um, so, Get straight into so it. So, <laughs> how do you um, how do you go about approaching the the nature of Irish identity here and 
the nature of um, Irish involvement in persecution of indigenous population, the indigenous population here. Um, I ask that in part because I, I remember, Darren, you'll remember when we were um, starting this project, one of the conversations we had was about the Irish coming to Australia and going from being colonized to being colonizers or you know instruments of colonization or whatever whatever way you want to put it right um so so i find that a really intriguing thing to to have to sort of grapple with you know what i mean on you hmm. i i think you know it's 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 really interesting the irish history in australia because they due to to the way that the irish had been treated by the english before getting here um we were considered you know similar in the eyes eyes of that whether it was in america with the african american um uh culture over there or whether it was here with the indigenous culture you know the the irish were also considered a subclass i suppose to the to the english um in that um but then there there came a point in history where uh, you know, white skin did become a privilege in America or over here, and where in some ways um, the Irish had to assimilate over here. And and now generations later, you know, the Irish are lumped in with the free settlers that that came over here. Do you know what I mean? They're not considered. The Irish don't have a cultural identity in this country separate to the English, the Scottish, and the Welsh that came over. Do you know? But the history is actually quite deep in that, you know, that there wasn't choice a lot of the time in coming here for most Irish people. And, and even ones that came by choice, you know, later generations, it still was due to, you know, whether it was the troubles up north or whether it was um, other things that, you know, you have to look at the reasons behind all of that. So um, I think there's been different versions of telling the story. And I have to say Michael D. Higgins on his, um, our president on his last trip over here, I found it extremely inspiring, you know, his apology to the indigenous community here on behalf of the Irish that did carry out things, unspeakable things, as part of the process of assimilating to English colonizer culture, you know? And, um, and so I, I think Australia in general, white Australia, ha, has a lot of internal looking to do at, at, at their history and at their roots and at, at all of that. And, and coming to terms with all that history, coming to terms with the Irish side of it, the English side of it, you know, and all the other cultures that have come here since, you know. But I, I do also think that systematically Australia needs to recognise the Irish culture here as a as a culture you know as something that you know we we weren't we weren't um we weren't the same as the english coming over here it was a very different situation you know what were your what were your first impressions when you came here uh, when did you when did you first move over here um i'm here about 10 years i came over with the wave of of, of irish that came at the global financial crisis um and yeah, I mean, my, I had never been to Australia before coming here, so it was... <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any expectations? Um, 
No, I I suppose like we all watched Home and Away, didn't we? So I think no neighbors. We were neighbors. For, what are you talking about? Oh, no, I was neighbors. You're either Home one. Or, you're either one Come or the on. other. But you can't be. This both. interview's over. Yeah, I was. I was a Home and Away. Yeah, so I kind of like when I moved. I moved outside of Melbourne there, down on the Bellarine, and it looked like Home and Away to me. I was just like, this is mad, you know. <laughs> this is this is just like being in home and away. So um, yeah, and I was a surfer. People walking about no shirts on, carrying surfboards. <laughs> it's <laughs> just it, Alf Richards everywhere, really. Yeah, but I did, you know, very quickly really miss culture, you know, in general. Like whether that's music or art or or everything, you know. I suppose um, that that was a big that was a big shocked me melbourne had it and it was beautiful to be able to go visit melbourne it's it's so rich in so many things but you know outside of melbourne and, and other major cities it's hard to find you know even just live music that that's happening i know right now nothing's happening but <laughs> but before then i suppose that that really you know and um just that kind of identity i i found it very hard you know the identity thing and and who you are is a very is a very complex topic in Australia. So I kind of found it hard. Whereas I suppose traveling to other places like, you know, Spain or France or South America or something, they they're very strong in their identity of who they are. Whereas Australia is such a mix of so many things. I I found it, yeah, I found that quite hard to to work out. I suppose when that I really. That's really interesting. Said like it's quite profound. It's, it sounds kind of simple at its face value, but that's something that I definitely can relate to in my first years here. So my first years were spent in, in Sydney and then in Brisbane, and it, that sense of not having access to different, like just culture. Like it's, I know it's a kind of a very broad term, but yeah. music in lots of forms, art in lots of forms. It was really the city centres had it. But then it felt like I was just swimming in this huge, vast pool of of nothing, and yes. I, I like I never knew whether it was me just being in the wrong places at the wrong time, or if it just didn't exist in, in the same quantities that it has existed in other places I've lived in. Yeah. And I think later on I found out that maybe it doesn't exist in as many places. Yeah, I mean, it Which took is, me starting to play music. You know, once I started to play music over here, I was like, oh, okay, you can find your little thing you, you really have to seek it out a lot more you have to be way more active about finding it whereas I feel like in Ireland or, or other places that I've lived as well like it's just there and you choose what you want to be part of you know <laughs> whereas yeah. and it, here, it is, it's really to, spread out too yeah like I can know that's a simple thing but I remember even like being in Brisbane knowing that there was something on like I don't know it kind of, something might be on the Gold Coast or somewhere nearby but it's still having the mentality of 50k's is a yeah. really long distance i'm not doing that now i wouldn't like wouldn't bat an eyelid traveling 100k's to see a bit of music because <laughs> i'm just normalized yeah. but on those first few years you're kind of going what 30k's to go see like some band that might be crap no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but you know it's, it's interesting like you were living literally like a, a down the road from where from where me and Darren are now, and Darren, yeah. would you say that that chimes in with your experience of this of this area, right, the Bellarine? Yeah, and I think like I lived in, I found my stride in Brisbane, and then I, I was in 
in Melbourne for many years and it was Melbourne's a great city there's so much happening mm. in Melbourne like you're spoiled you almost get you almost get paralysis of choice in Melbourne there's that yeah. much going on which is great and that's kind of such a silly thing to say anyway but then coming down where I am now I, I think I was ready for it Dom to be honest because I had gone through it and I knew I'd have to do the hard work so I'd, I'd, I don't think it's hard work but I was very aware that I would need to keep my head in the game much more actively and it wouldn't just come to me yeah which is probably was that what it was like when you were in the ballerine yeah definitely you know um i mean sport is big at home as well i suppose like we we love our sport too but here like i don't know sport kind of was in victoria in particular it just felt like rural victoria like that was the culture do you know and not being massively into sport it was like well what, what's the other <laughs> where's the other <laughs> what stuff? else and um yeah, and just finding, for me, it was kind of finding other musicians, but having to really, like you said, really know that you have to actively seek it out, whereas my first year or two, I think I found that really hard because I was like, where, where, where is this? Where are we? What's going on? <laughs> you know, the beaches are yeah. beautiful and I love this barbecue and thing. This is great. Like, but, but where's, where's the... the it's funny, my beautiful friend Emily Waramara who tours with we tour together a lot I brought her over to Ireland last year she toured with me there and um, we played four gigs in Cork that were all within kind of 20 or 30 kilometers of each other like you'd never be able to do that here and each was sold out and each was full and beautiful and all different stuff and afterwards I remember we're sitting around um in in Levis's pub in Ballydahob and we were sitting around after the show and having just this casual conversation with the people that own the place and a few of the bartenders that were finished as well and we're chatting away chatting away and then it went like straight to the famine we just started talking (laughs) it went from you know just general conversation to like what about the famine you know and Emily was just like I love this you know like it, it on a conversation level like you can go from something like the weather and then get really deep really quick you know and I I'm I really craved that when I when I um when I moved here and and the conversations just being a lot more on surface level about the weather or sports or or different things and being like wait when when do we get to talk about the famine here (laughs) on your what what kind of a um what kind of a person are you like so for me like I'm not I'm not um, proud of the way I would have acted about it I would have been a bit of a this place is fucking shit no fucking culture <laughs> yeah. uh, it's everyone else's fault and it took me a long time to figure out that no it's just different and, I, and, and and whatever I need to change how I approach it how did you approach it in the early days yeah probably swang between this is shit and I hate this place um to okay what can I do what can I add to this and I remember like I think even my first year there you know in Ocean Grove I got a bunch of people together and I said right we're having a St. Patrick's Day parade and just got the kids dressed up none of them were Irish I just made them all come down (laughs) be like right we're putting on a parade just walking up and down the like footpath with the kids and you know and and then other moments I'd be like where what am I supposed to do with myself here you know so um I don't know yeah swung between the two when when you're kind of going through that feeling of um, I don't know like I don't know if displacement I don't know how you would describe it whatever the feeling is that you have 
did it take you a while to figure out that that's what it was right or were you just kind of like oh yeah i mean i, I think it's only sort of like really I, I i i think a lot of what i felt and how i've all the conversations have only kind of like they truly like just like I don't know whether it was lockdown or or being you know not playing for a while but this this track that 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 is coming out that I have made it's kind of like all my feelings towards being Irish and living over here finally sort of just like flowed out in this like seven minute rant is <laughs> the best way I can describe it but um it it's just, I, I, I think I d didn't know how to process a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of casual jokes, casual racism about Irish people here that is also very ingrained in conversations as well. You know, like I remember when I first got here and they're like, oh, you know about the Irish jokes? And I was like, what Irish jokes, you know? Or there'd be, you know, different puns or different things about potatoes or whatever or whatever, do you know? And some of that is like people trying to connect with you. And then other things are like, well, actually, that, that's really not cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and Completely. and trying to process as well kind of that that um, colonial mindset that is here. And, you know, I mean, we have it in Ireland as well. Like we, we are we are colonized and then and then we also sometimes take on the colonial mindset as well, you know, and 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 through active process of trying i suppose to decolonize my own mind you start to recognize all these things that were uncomfortable before and be like oh no actually that's that's more than uncomfortable that's like that's actually not okay you know and when you're out there playing irish music and and i play my own music but i i do play some traditional music and some old um old songs and old tunes and everything but people's expectation of who you are and what you're going to be that night when you're playing for them is based on some stereotype of an Irish person that they have. Do you know what I mean? And so you, you also, you know, after a show or when you're chatting on the break, people are kind of like dumping all their, <laughs> their stuff on you, whether it's, you know, their own connection back to Ireland or all this stuff. And some of those conversations are beautiful, like, and some of them are really enriching. And then other ones, you're like, I don't know what to make of that conversation that, we had, that I just had. Like, you want me to, like, talk about, you know, alcoholism? Like, I don't get where you're coming from, you know? <laughs> One other thing I wanted, I wondered about then was, um, uh, and I'm asking this partly just because I need advice, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, so w where we're living and, and Ocean Grove, I mean, these are very suburban areas, mm. right? And there's something about suburbia that I am sort of both drawn towards and repelled by. And I think at the, at this precise moment, after <laughs> uh, after one period of lockdown and, and the beginning of another one, uh, the re the repulsion bit is starting to really kick in. You know, um, mm. how, how how was suburbia for you? Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think I had to. That's a huge question. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I I found. Once I found my fire again, you know, once I found my 
purpose and my drive and what I was supposed to do, I, I couldn't live in it anymore. Do you know, I, I had to kind of... Um, and you know, I I live I I live in the in the hills now, and it is you know a little bit kind of like suburbia, I suppose. But we live on a bus and we tour and we travel. And lockdown has kind of been a bit harder because a lot of the things that myself and my kids revolve our family around is traveling and touring and meeting new people and and lots of amazing experiences all around the world, not just here in Australia. And when you're kind of stuck in one place, all the distractions, I don't know, I, I was talking to, I know you've had Tony McTighe on here as well, and Tony and I were talking about this, that, you know, all the distractions about living away from Ireland, like the things that distract you from those homesick feelings, you know, lockdown took all of those distractions away and you're kind of left sitting like, why am I living on the other side of the world? Like, what am I doing here? You know? Yeah. And, um, and then I think if you add a suburban <laughs> layer onto that where yeah, where you sometimes just aren't having those deep conversations, those deep connections, those um I don't know, chances at exploring your culture and who you are and chances at exploring other people's cultures and who they are, and when everything comes very homogenized, you know, very much the same uh look and feel and aren't we all supposed to be loving this and you know the smashed avocado and the lattes and whatever when it all gets like really very much the same um yeah I think I struggled because I'm a really like I'm I I you don't want to sit next to me at a dinner party like you know <laughs> I heard Rihanna Giddens say this in an interview and I was like yes I'm the same person you don't want to sit next to me at a dinner party because I go deep you know <laughs> And sometimes in suburban life, living, they just want to have Tupperware parties. Like, that freaking freaked me out when I moved to Ocean Grove first. Like, the amount of Tupperware parties I was invited to. And I was like, I don't think there's ever been a Tupperware party in Ireland. Like, I can't remember anyone ever being in the history of my family being invited to a Tupperware party. And within the first, like three months of living there I'd been invited to like six and I was like I don't want the matching Tupperware right leave me wait Anya 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 <laughs> I have to ask you then this is this is a bit like asking a Freemason what happens in a you know in the lodge right <laughs> so what actually happens at a Tupperware party they really I, I mean I, I I didn't go after the second or the third invite um but yeah they'd like get all excited about the new color and the new thing and the one that can go in the microwave and I just sat there like is this for real is this is this is this like is this what we're talking about you know <laughs> and there was a competition you got a free one if you knew what one was called they were doing like hints to it and it was wacky I tell you that <laughs> um it was a wacky experience <laughs> yeah and for me like I was like I just I got to talk about something deeper than Tupperware. Like, it just isn't going to... Yeah, and so I, I think I kind of tried to dumb myself down in a way to sort of fit into the conversations, and then I was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I, I've got to talk about real stuff, you know? <laughs> does, does that have... um? You know, when you're when you're doing that, Anya, and you're, you're sort of keeping a lid on some part of the the kind of truth of your nature right what does that what does that do to you 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that's again, you know, that's part of the, you know, colonized mindset. It's probably part of the patriarchy. It's probably part of like <laughs> so much where you just kind of try to f fit in. And so you try to quiet down the bits of you that aren't fitting in. But, you know, a little bit of your soul dies when you do that, you know. And for me, the process of buying this bus and taking off and exploring Australia this way and playing music, making a full-time commitment, I had no I had no business quitting my job and just, like, deciding I was going to play music full-time. I had, <laughs> with three kids in tow, like, I had no business making that decision. But I was like, if I don't do this and I don't at least give it a shot, I, I'm, my soul is going to die, you know? And I suppose I, I have a dad that's a musician, so I, I had that, you know, modeling growing up, so I knew that it was an option. And, you know, if I... So for me, I just, I just keep pointing forwards towards the next true thing. You know, I just keep following my gut instinct and what feels true and what nourishes and feeds my soul rather than rather than letting those bits die you know and and expressing expressing what i can of my culture I, I i think as well for my first part of playing music over here i tried to fit into the expectation of what an irish person should be playing music over here do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like um and and it's easy in some ways you can you can do that that circuit and you can play and be that expectation and then i was like i have to be true to who i am and um yeah i remember a, a st patrick's day you know i was getting paid loads of money in melbourne to kind of do one pub and then the next pub and the next one and by one of the last ones and you know there was crazy drunken carry on and all this stuff and the conversations I had I just said I'm never doing a St. Patrick's Day again you know <laughs> no matter what I get offered <laughs> you know yeah. I, I'm just I'm not doing it this way if I do it I'm gonna book a show myself and make it about what I want it to be about but not about not about selling my culture that way do you know what I mean and um yeah, so decisions like that, I've just, I, I suppose I've had to kind of make make little decisions along the way that, that are that are big for, for what feels true and right for me, once, you know? Once you've made that big decision, right, to go on the road, mm. does, it, does it get easier to, to recognize the, the lots of small decisions as well? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think once you make one big one like that, it's kind of like you learn to listen in to that to your, you know, your gut or your knowing or whatever you want to call it. And, wh and whenever you you tap into that, it's kind of like you you can't ignore it because like that incongruence in you begins to be louder. Whereas I, I think before I made that decision, I kind of like kept trying to shut up that little incongruence and be like, yeah, be quiet. No, this is the right thing to do. I'm supposed mm. to have a job and I'm supposed to do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, and when you, when you kind of say, no, I'm going to listen to the next thing and I still need to put food on the table for my kids and make sure that we're safe and warm and, you know, looked after. But, um, but yeah, I think, I mean, I know it's ridiculously you know, 
corny or whatever to say that the universe ends up providing for you but in a way it does when you're when you're following your true path or, or what what you're kind of meant to be doing it's kind of like all the little doors open that should open and the ones that aren't supposed to open don't open do you know uh-huh. I, I yeah I mean not to say I haven't made probably some bad decisions along the way and some things that I would change but at the same time like I've gotten just a lot more practiced at listening to that knowing because it it always seems to know I don't know like (laughs) even when I try to like tell it otherwise it's like six months later it's like I told you that six months ago (laughs) (laughs) well uh, Anya do you reckon we could have a we could have another song yeah well actually uh, after talking about that I'll I'll do one kind of on that topic (laughs) thank you um yeah I I wrote this one when I when I moved up here, actually, someone brought me to this mountain, um, and it's called Mount Warning. And um, I learned later that the name for it is actually Wollumbin. And I I learned that because I was going to go climb the mountain, but then luckily some beautiful friends had told me it's a sacred mountain and it's for men's initiation business up here, and that the Bunjalung people from here I've asked people not to climb it for years and I I of course respected it and, and didn't climb it thank goodness but um but it actually made me you know I just thought it was quite ironic that this mountain was called Mount Warning by the colonizers and then it you know years later people weren't heeding the warnings about climbing the mountain if you know what I mean and yep. um yeah, and it just made me think about all those times that we don't listen to those inner warnings, really. You know, we listen from our head and not our heart. <laughs> so this is a song about listening from the heart, I suppose. to the lookout and he showed me Mount Warning tried to hold me close and stop some fire from burning well I gaze upon the rivers and I imagine myself floating oh, flames can't get you
still hang on for good life in the darkest meanest hours and everywhere is somewhere if you are beaten down you are a climber so don't take that last breath till they see the gold in your skies there is wisdom in the warnings you all see the smoke each time in the arms of silence the truth There you are. Sorry, well, I dropped the <laughs> other microphone. <laughs> Great stuff on you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, what no was worries. that called again? Uh, that's As Clouds Collide. Onya, can I ask you, if, so in my mind, you, you've come over here and you've spent some time in Melbourne and you're, you're then in Ocean Grove. That's when you made the choice you were going to leave, leave whatever job you were in and, and start music. Is, am I right in saying that? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually moved straight to Ocean Grove okay. from, from Ireland. Um, yeah, and I was teaching at Point Lonsdale Primary School. I was a teacher. Right. And um, yeah, and I kind of started, tried to do part-time teaching part-time music. And then I was like, if, if I don't give this my full-time, you know, give it a go. It was actually the principal, beautiful Faye Agdarhouse at the school there that was like, just go for it. <laughs> Yeah, so, so then, she was beautiful like psychologically like, what does that look like when you in in the the weeks months days leading up to making that kind of choice like what what were you dealing with I mean for me it was um returning to myself really I I played I, I played music as a kid growing up and um and I was playing before I became a mum as well and then in Ireland I, I didn't see very many mums 
in the game. Like there was a lot of younger women playing music and a lot of older women, but there wasn't this, there wasn't a role models of, of young mums playing music. It was, it was a very, um, uh, just a, a missing part of the equation in, in Ireland at the time. And when I came over here, I saw mums playing music. They were at festivals with their kids and it, it was much more, I don't know, I suppose here it's, it's, it's a bit easier in that respect as well because there's so many great family-friendly festivals and stuff. And um, so, I mean, it was a process really of returning to myself. I, I, I was in a, um, a really unhealthy, abusive relationship. I had three small kids. I was trying to, uh, you know, it ended. I was trying to figure out who I was again. And that a lot of that was returning back to who I really was, which was a musician, a creative, and and just seeing how I could, um, you know, m make that happen. You know, I, I remember a conversation with my daughter, who is a, she's thirteen now, and at the time she would have been about five or six, and she was doing that. You know, what am I going to be when I grow up? And I was like, you can be anything you want, dream as big as you want, and you know, follow your dreams. I was giving her all this talk, and I was like, gee, Sonia, you're not doing that. You know, <laughs> I remember just kind of being like, you are a hypocrite. And so part of it was also that I was like. If I don't model that to my kids, then then oh, what what do they have to see? You know what I mean? Completely. I think that it's a. I don't know. From, from, like obviously speaking from a my own perspective, the the idea of following a dream to to mm. that extent is like it's it's the word embarrassing for me keeps on coming up because I feel like I've got like I'd have aspirations to stuff, but I. I I'm too afraid to actually just mm. bite the bullet and go and do it. And you were you 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 did it. You went, you know what, I'm 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 not gonna talk about it or dream about it. I'm I'm gonna start doing it. What what was the yeah what was the process like from that moment? So you've decided well, from the day you say, Screw this, I'm I'm gonna I'm doing it. Like what what does that look like? What do you do? I mean, I'd love to say that then everything is perfect and it's rainbows and it's beautiful, but you still, you have to face your fears every day. You know, I still, you know, I'm like, you know, you, you, you wake up every day and you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, but now I suppose as, as, as the further I'm down the track of being a full-time musician at this, like the, the, the crippling fear you know, is far less. I can talk myself out of any of those doubts that come, you know, or, you know, any of those kind of niggling things. You're just like, okay, I see you, that's fear, and I can hear you, but I'm still going to do what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And that that's just a, a process, I suppose, of um, just, yeah, honing in on that kind of, this is part of, of living a creative life is that you also have to um you also have to battle that fear that you know i mean everyone has to battle it in whatever they're doing you know like i have that fear every time i um i get to about half an hour before we start an interview like this <laughs> seriously <laughs> um it never oh. it never goes away no matter how many times you've done it really it's kind of it's so true um, it's so and, true um it's quite interesting wrestling for me it's it's just kind of wrestling my way through the conversation 
uh, you know, like, I, I don't know, just uh, maybe we should just do it next week instead. You know, that's my <laughs> that's my get out. Yeah. It's just I oh, will do it next week. We'll do it next week. Darren can attest to that because <laughs> he loves that part of my personality. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we all have it. We yeah. all have it. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, talking about your musical background, right? Where does that come from? In your childhood, like, do you have an early memory of hearing something? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it was around um, uh, incredible mentor and my mm-hmm. dad, you know, um, he's an amazing musician. So there was music around the house and he was very, you know, um, in traditional Irish music. And, you know, that's all he really listened to. And then my mom, you know, she listened to kind of Joan Baez and Buffy St. Marie and this, this kind of other stuff. And then between dad had a, always just had an open house of musicians that were coming and going so that it was amazing as well to, to have conversations with, you know, I remember, you know, one producer dad was working with and him and I would just sit and talk about Bob Marley for ages. And my dad had not a clue who Bob Marley was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, but, but I, I, I do give a, a lot of weight and credit to traditional Irish music for the bank of melody and the, and the tradition for having that structure. And, you know, I learned tin whistle growing up in the flute and having, having that as like a, as, as the, the, the music that's seeping in all the time, you know, I feel exceptionally lucky. Um, that that's there underneath everything and whether I play it all the time or not I was you know so exposed to it and loved it I just loved I loved being around music I loved you know when dad was playing sessions or at the pub or or wherever I, I loved it I just loved it I, I sort of have the have the image of the music being this part of you that is stored away against a harder time to come do you know what I mean like yeah just yeah, packed away definitely. and then it's like it, this it resource and it's yeah. like that'll be there when you need it kind of thing mm. yeah so true it, yeah definitely definitely who, I love so that who, who were the players who you were who you were knocking about with and and the in, in the traditional field who you who you were hearing coming through the house you know oh um well dad had a band called the metal hunters and um you know he he I played a regular session with um, Liam Lewis, an incredible fiddle player down um, in Clare. He then then there was lots of um, musicians that that would come through. Judy McCune, incredible Scottish singer songwriter. Ruth Dillon, a uh, Galway singer songwriter as well. Um, you know, Dad toured a lot with Davy Spillane. Um, oh, like. You know, I mean, all of them, you know, um, Sharon Shannon, who used to have a session with, like, I mean, we were just in Clare as well at that time, you know, you just have so many. And and he had this session on a Wednesday. He still has it in greens. It's not going, obviously, at the moment. It's been going for 30 years now, you know, on a Wednesday night in um, greens in Ballyvon. And you just never know who would turn up, you know. <laughs> and, um, and Dad loved... You know, as well, he, you know, he was a bit wild and loved 
you know, if a jazz musician or, or somebody else was around, you know, he just, he loved that, you know, um, freedom to explore other things within it as well, you know. Um, him and Tommy Peoples did an amazing tour together, you know, um, Kevin Glacken and uh, himself. I, I, um, so many, so Ronan yeah. Brown, an amazing piper. I mean, and yeah, I, I, I can't even <laughs> begin to name them all. So, so did you then, um, I, you know, as you're kind of coming into your teenage years, and I, I mean, do you have an idea that, 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 that this is the kind of music that you want to be playing? Or are you, by this point, are you, is your mother's influence starting to take hold? Are you starting to look at America and think about other? Yeah, I mean, I, I did, I played classical music on the silver flute, actually, because I kind of was like, I don't want to play traditional Irish music, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's bad um, and then And then I went back to it with the whistle, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, and so I did classical music and then I was like, yeah, no, this is boring. Back to the back to the fun stuff, back to Irish music. And then dad, um, dad had a guitar that someone had given him. My dad plays tenor guitar, um, four string guitars and tenor banjo. So that's what he, he comes from. So he didn't know how to play a six string guitar. And someone had given him or gifted him a, a six string guitar in exchange for some work or something. And it was sitting around the house when I was about... 17 or so and he was going to sell it and I was like can I have that <laughs> <laughs> and um because I had done classical music on the flute I was like allergic to the idea of learning how to play the guitar in lessons I just didn't want it and my dad had, it was self-taught in everything and learned by ear and so I I kind of went down that path with the guitar and um and and so whenever I would, you know, dad would have friends over or I'd come across a guitar player that I liked, I'd just be like, can you show me something? Can you show me that? And for that, I suppose that that gave me a, a different set of rules on the guitar and for songwriting as well, because I didn't know what the rules of guitar were, do you know? <laughs> so I kind of made up my own, which means I kind of break the rules sometimes, but apparently that's a thing that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I yeah, it, it was it was amazing really to come to playing guitar in my own way, not not from a tradition or from lessons or or anything like that. And and then you, um, I think we were talking on the phone. You mentioned that from from there when you went to college in Dublin, that you that there was something there that also opened up for you. What was yeah? So um, what was that? What was that like? So I went from like you know dad having lots of traditional music around the house um and a real traditional music setting down in Clare and Galway where, where dad's from to going up to Dublin and and I, there wasn't um that same thing it, it, what was happening in Dublin was a singer-songwriter scene and um a lot of the people were they weren't singing you know Irish songs they were singing their own songs and um and so it kind of opened up my eyes as well to this whole thing that was happening in Dublin. And, you know, that the, the scene was bursting with, you know, between the frames and Mundy and, um, you know, uh, Ketel Kynig is an incredible Welsh singer that, that was living there at the time and, you know, was a real mentor to me. Um, 
just an incredible like um mix of who was music. that one you that you said was the mentor again Catel Catel Koenig yeah she was right yeah and just um incredible scene of of different music that didn't take its roots from traditional Irish music you know it was kind of this this own thing that was emerging in Dublin and um I was listening to all sorts of other musicians from uh, America and and different places at that time. So I suppose I was like, oh, wow, we have our own singer-songwriter <laughs> thing happening here. And it was, um, yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. It was a really innovative and lovely time. I mean, I remember even there, there was a, I, I'm in touch with them now because they're living back in New Zealand. Grada was a, a, a traditional Irish band, but they had jazz roots and they had a double bass in the band and they were kind of, you know, breaking the rules for a trad band at the time, you know? <laughs> so it just felt like there was a bit of rule breaking going on and I loved that. <laughs> I remember, I know what you're talking about. I remember, because it was early internet days for me here of kind of just streaming stuff and every now and again, you'd there's all this, I forget which website it was, but some there used to be a thing which used to happen in the stag's head, like... Yeah. But uh, singer songwriters and you'd have like, Decking work when they were playing there and I'm trying to think of all these other names yep. but like this great was it like Damien Rice and yeah yeah and it was just this yeah. cascade of independent singer-songwriters and one is good and each one would come out being almost more stripped back but better than the last one it was yeah that's it really it. interesting so you were you were amongst all that yeah at the time yeah yep and that that you know and and listening to all of them um, as they were honing their crafts as well and, and figuring it out. And, you know, I mean, and, and so many from that time, you know, are still touring the world as and, and, and as part of what we're proud of as the Irish music scene. And, and so to be to be there when all of that was sort of burgeoning was really, yeah, amazing. Because really, you know, up until really a lot of that, it was very much you know the Christy Moores and the the you know the Black family and it was very folk but leaning on the traditional music mm -hmm. um much more so um yeah you know the the likes of Sinead O'Connor and the Cranberries you know might have been like um you know a, an exception to that rule in some ways um yeah so it was it was it was amazing I suppose um, time to be. And were you playing at the time, or, yeah. or more? Yeah, I was your, playing. Your yeah, I was playing at all those singer-songwriter nights and learning my way through it as well, and supporting, um, you know, a lot, lot of them as well. You know, I probably got some illegal downloads somewhere yeah. in a hard drive. <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh God, it'd be embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you do another song and then we'll, we'll yeah, talk a sure. bit more? With you. Uh, what do you fancy? What do you fancy this time around? Um, oh God, I can't. Um, well, maybe after 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 speaking like that, I, I might actually do an, an Irish song, one one that I've sung with my dad, um, just to go just to go rebellious on what I just said. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're rebelling against your own rebellion. I know. So, you know it's very meta. <laughs> That's it. Very meta. I like that. <laughs> um, this is a version of the Rising of the Moon that my dad 
that my dad does. Since you're an Irish podcast and all, like you know, I might. Uh, yeah, you got you got to you got to show up with the Irish I stuff. I got to show. Right? It's either that or I get my whistle out. You know, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how much a solo whistle on a podcast would sound good. You know. <laughs> I've I tell Dom weekly he should do it. <laughs> but you're not to be trusted, Darren. There is that. There is that. <laughs> In these matters. <laughs>
stand up and be counted at the raising of the moon at the raising of the moon at the raising of the moon stand up and be counted at the raising of the Thank you, uh, Anya. I, that was I, I love that, and um, <clears throat> your guitar just because of the the way we're actually talking down a couple of phones here sounds like you're playing through some very, very complex um, echoplexy thing, so <laughs> or something. Oh. So, so it's got this whole other um, timbre to it, which is really fun. So, one of the things that I loved about that song and the, and the, that verse. It, is that your dad's version of that song of of your yeah. dad's lyrics i mean to the tune uh yeah well um siobhan siobhan um o'higgins and Porrick pierce wrote the um like a revised version of it around the time of the good friday peace agreement to kind of reflect you know from the old rebel songs Aye. it's such a beautiful melody and such a beautiful song but but the the lyrics are not the time that we're living in anymore do you know what i mean i do know what you mean and it and it, it's a, it just um it it gets to the to the nub of something that's really interesting about about the cultural heritage that we that we have and what do you do with songs of violence and murder and slaughter yeah that's it <laughs> you know yeah what I mean? and so yeah i love it because they gave it they gave it an intention for an updated version of what we all wish Ireland to be, you know, and um, and it, there's there's no space for that violence anymore. So, we were originally going to chat a couple of days ago, and yeah, we weren't able to do it because you were speaking to the was it the Irish Women's Council? Yeah, the Women's Council of Ireland. Yeah. So, um, can you tell me a little bit about the background of that? Because that's a uh, pretty significant thing at the minute so can you sketch in like what's been going on for for our listeners who maybe in in the states or elsewhere who, who aren't aware of what's going on yeah so um uh before covid the my my a very good friend of mine linda coogan um and she's been my publicist in ireland for years as well um i got in touch uh we had talked a lot um over the years about um the, I suppose, the gender disparity in the music industry in Ireland as a whole. I mean, even when I was talking to you a minute ago, you know, all the names that, that you mention are men, you know, and, and of that time in the singer-songwriter scene, it was it was all men, you know, and there was a few of us women that were playing, but we weren't, we, we, <laughs> we weren't being heard, you know, and so... Um, Linda and I have been talking about it for a long time and amongst other women in the Irish music scene as well. And um, she has access to, as a publicist, the radio reports. And so she sent me through some of the data for the last year. And I just, I knew it would be bad, but I had no idea that the disparity would, would be that bad. So what, what are you talking about in terms of radio data? So it's the um so what we compiled in the end was um a gender disparity report on Irish radio and with the time off for covid i suppose both of us found that we had time to really get that together and what we did was look at um 
20 radio stations across Ireland and um, look at what their playlisting was for the last year. And so that's the top 20 acts that they would have on their playlists. And when playlists are compiled, then those go out to high rotation on the radio. So this is how acts are broken, I suppose, and what is seen as or deemed as um, good and what is deemed as like a success story are the ones that are playlisted. And um, RT Radio 1 was the only station that had 50-50 gender disparity and, you know, we congratulated them amazingly and that's because they actually sit down at board meetings on playlisting and then they make sure that they have a, a balance of gender um, but the majority of the radio stations, there were many that had 100% male in their playlisting, and the majority fell between 90 and 95% male on their playlisting, which is um, really sad. You know, <laughs> it was really hard to look at actually, because I, you know, me and and a lot of my colleagues and beautiful friends, we're the ones that aren't being playlisted. These aren't just statistics. These this this is us, you know? And for most of us, the radio station that has given us a go has been RTE Radio 1, and then the rest of the station's impossible to get radio airplay. And it's not just the radio airplay, you know? Like, that is a that is a small part of the music ecosystem, but basically that same disparity exists across every other area of the music industry, you know, on festival lineups on who's signed to um, labels on who is um, interviewed by media do you know what I mean it's, it's a really mm-hmm. similar story so um, so yeah the, the report came out and it got I mean neither of us expected the traction that it got on, on in Irish media and um, media around the world as well um, because the conversation is, is happening in a lot of different places about um, uh, lack of female representation on bills and on labels and on in radio, and um, so yeah, it it it, it gathered um, enough steam that that we had a, a lot of people get in touch, and then and then um, you know I even got a, a letter back from our president Michael D Higgins <laughs> in full support of us and the Women's Council of Ireland who who have been involved in every major female movement in Ireland, you know, the repeal movement, um, they've been there behind uh, amazing change in Ireland for women. Um, got in touch with us as well, and that was the call the other day to see what they could do to help in the next part of the campaign that, that we're, you know, um, randomly launched. We, we It wasn't an intention, <laughs> it was kind of just this, like, we we have this data, we can't not share it like this is unless these conversations are happening this isn't going to change you know and so for us it was about making the conversation happen so so making the conversation is 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 one part of it how how do you go about then the the structural change yeah well i mean this is i suppose where we're getting advice from people like the women's council of ireland because i mean i'm a musician and linda's a publicist i mean we didn't aim to be like social change activists here <laughs> but um but yeah uh, i mean the radios in general the radio stations have not really engaged in the conversation the broadcasting authority of ireland has met with us 
Um, but they have little legis like they have little authority without proper legislation to enact that authority. So there really isn't any legislation that says radio stations have to play a diverse um, uh, a diverse set of music. And I suppose for us that that may be the way that we end up having to go. But you know, we launched the next part of the campaign, which is why not her. Um, you, you can check that out on Twitter and Instagram and all those places where we're just trying to um, give radio stations and, and the general public lists of women, that Irish women that are making incredible music that you might not have heard about because the radio aren't supporting them. Um, so for us, it's about education with the Why Not Her campaign. Now that's kind of where we're, we're headed um, with that. And... Um, and, you know, it just, I mean, statistics came out the other day, just in the last three or four weeks that this conversation has come out, there's been a 300% um, uh, more women play charting in Ireland on the homegrown charts since before this conversation started. So there's change happening just because we're all talking about it. And the most powerful part, I suppose, is that women from lots of different collectives around Ireland, you know, um, the Fair Play Collective are in the traditional Irish music scene. There's an X Collective. Like there's there's a collectives of women that we're all talking now, you know. And whereas before it's like we were all kind of trying to do our own little bit in our little way, and now when when everyone gathers um, together, you know, it's kind of like we're we're not stopping until there's change, you know. <laughs> Is there any uh, data? coming the other way uh, obviously um the other the other big media for music is online streaming mm. and obviously your man was in the news this oh, week yeah. for for voicing some topical opinions is there any data coming back from from that like what kind of algorithms are are working there are they are they biased How, how's that working i mean what what it, it it's there are women that are getting, you know, there's some amazing Irish women that are getting incredible Spotify playlisting and, and great um, support through syncs on on um, different shows and, and things like that, right? But then Ireland isn't celebrating them or, or holding them up in the same esteem or the same light that we hold up our male okay. artists. And radio is yeah. one place that that's done. Festival lineups is another. Seen on TV, on TV programs is another. You know, this idea of who's a success. Whereas um, a lot of us, I mean, there's so many Irish women like myself living over here. Wallace Bird, an incredible artist uh, living in Germany. Um, Imelda May is in London. Like, there's a lot of Irish women that are living abroad trying to make their names other places because we're it's so it's such a tiny pool that ireland will draw from as women where it seems to be like like if you're a fellow with a guitar there's loads of spots for you you know <laughs> like there's there's hundreds mm -hmm. of places there but you know we'll let one woman through on this bill you know as as a woman and so it while there may be great support in in spotify playlisting and all that sort of stuff that's not really seen as a success if you know what i mean like that's not what people don't really go and be like 
oh, sh- she's being played on Spotify. You know, it's more like, oh, I heard her on the radio the other day. And then people are like, well, she's obviously doing well for herself. You know, <laughs> I've never had anyone like yeah. call me and say, oh, I heard you on Spotify. But I've had a lot of people call me and be like, I heard you on the radio the other day. <laughs> you know. Well, it's interesting, Anya, you know, um, to me, the this also sort of ties in with ideas of race that we were talking about earlier right Mm. um because it strikes me that just when it comes to gender um parity i guess as a man i have internalized that tendency towards disparity without realizing it as i probably Mm. have ingested and internalized racist attitudes too right that's part of the kind of yeah realization that you start to go through hopefully when you start to really confront some of the really deep-seated things within yourself right mm. and and it was interesting to, to, i think me and darren have both kind of grappled a bit with this because we we talked about it in the context of this podcast because we find ourselves now you could say it was, we find ourselves gravitating not gravitating towards male artists but it just seemed to be easier to find male musicians or we somehow ended up with an imbalance, right, Darren? Would that be right, Darren? Completely. And look, uh, it, I, I think the reason for it is as soon as we weren't planning it, like so we re- we recognised early on that there was this um, disparity and we set out to address it. As soon as we took our eye off the ball and let anything else got in the way where we didn't have an interview lined up for that week, we just went back to what we felt we already knew we picked up the phone and nine times out of ten it was another man and that's who we end up interviewing and that's that's embarrassing because that's as simple an issue as it was for us and we set out with, with intentions but we, we let we let silly things get in the way of something that needs to be addressed yeah i mean i think we've all internalized that and we've all internalized i mean i know even myself like you know you internalize the men as the genius or you know as the prolific one or the you know and and you see that a lot I, I I think in the traditional Irish music scene as well like you know there's great fiddlers but then there's the great the greatest and they're all men do you know what I mean <laughs> like Sharon Shannon seems to be the only one that's kind of like claimed a stake for a woman on an instrument you know um and I think in the singer-songwriter scene as well, like it's kind of like this internal thing where you're like, oh yeah, you know, you, you the 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 men are heralded up as that, but that but that's actually by design. And once you start realizing that, it, it you do have to start really um, reaching outside those comfort zones to try to find other voices and other stories and other experiences because what we've been told is the narrative is generally the white male narrative in in most respects right and um you know in the western world anyway um we've been told that that's the story and so women's music is sometimes seen as being emotional or not relevant or you know (laughs) all these other things like that the topics that women are speaking about are not as important as the topics of what men are singing about do you know what i mean um so once we start reaching out of that and start saying, all right, well, we need to include 
other voices, other perspectives, other narratives in this. And it, it definitely, it has to be a conscious thing. I mean, that's that's how RT Radio 1 has 50-50, is they set out to make that happen. It w will not happen accidentally. And this is the conversation we're trying to have with other radio stations. Like, you can't just um, say, oh, yeah, sure, we'll make an attempt. Because like yourselves, you found out, like, you make an attempt for a week or two or something, and then the old habits will kick back in, you know? And it's about, I suppose, um, all across the board, starting to look at, well, why, why do we look towards just the men in that regard? Like, what do we have to do to support women to become genius at their instruments, to become genius at their... Um, at their songwriting, like what what's the structures in place and how are we all part of the system that doesn't allow that to come up, you know? So for us right now, it's about highlighting all these women and giving them more of a platform so that people can start following them, listening to them. Because once you open up your ears to, to different perspectives and different voices and different things, like you can't kind of go back then. You know, you still like the other things that you like, but... It's um, it's amazing when you train your ear to listen to to different things. How how much more of a wealth it brings to your life, you know. Hmm. I was actually I don't know how related it is, but it was only last week. Like we we ran, uh, I hate even saying the words, but we ran a Facebook ad for the podcast just to get get it in front of more people, and you end up getting all the data back. And I was dumbfounded over the the percentage of the demographics that the ad land in front of so all i select is i want people that like the podcast and their friends to see this piece of music mm. and i send it out that's as really as deep as i go and then it comes back and it says here's your spread and i was just i was like blown away i think it was 81 percent or 82 percent male wow and i, I just I, I, I still can't understand what why and that's that's us putting stuff out and that's that's facebook then choosing who who it goes in front of mm. and i'm and I, I knew i was talking to you tonight and i was kind of going well, is that just is that highlighting just another i don't even know what it's highlighting it was just it's so shocking if it had been maybe i don't know in the 60s i would kind of think okay well there's more men on, on our show maybe that's the start of that kind of bias showing itself but 80 percent kind of really threw me 80 plus percent threw me yeah well i suppose when you have men on the show men are sharing that with their friends those men are liking it and thinking that it is more of a male podcast with two men Possibly, on it yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean mm -hmm. i suppose that mm -hmm. that's also yeah maybe that's yeah i don't i mean i i all I can say is I know that it has to, I mean, what I've seen work on festival, because I've been part of the conversation here in Australia, which is why I was happy to start the conversation in Ireland, because about three years ago, Triple J did a similar report on the whole music industry in Australia. They didn't just do radio. They looked at college, how many women were going into music programs, how many women were graduating, how many women were going into music management, music business, how many women on festival lineups they looked at a much broader you know um arena in terms of the music industry and you know, because of that report 
three years later, there's change. And, and as a female artist in Australia, I can say I feel it and, and I see it for the women around me. There's more space, right? Yeah. But that is by design. Three years ago, a lot of festivals got called out for it. A lot of um, people, a lot of different different areas were getting called out about it. And, and now the conversation is around indigenous artists and now you're beginning to see change there. But it doesn't come by accident. Change isn't like that you accidentally wake up tomorrow and there'll be 50-50 of your listenership. Do you know what I mean? It has to be planned and designed. And, and that's how I've seen festivals that have turned things around. And I've seen radio stations like that turn things around, you know, where they've been like, right, this is an issue. We've noticed it. You know, even on your podcast, making a post about it and talking about it, even this conversation right now is you addressing it and saying, we need to, we need to make a change as a podcast. So, like tell us your favorite female artist that you want us to interview do you know mm -hmm. what i mean and start start the conversation because i think that thing is like once they once you notice it then you you it, the people that just kind of ignore it and think that it's going to change itself like it, the system will never change it'll always be in favor of um male artists in the music industry until someone decides all right well we're going to change that. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing you at 50-50 sometime soon. I know it'll happen. <laughs> it, 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 it won't be long, but it, it is interesting that, you, you know, you, when you talk about, earlier you mentioned it's not, a, it's that disparity um, and, you know, issues of systemic injustice aren't accidental. The solution mm. isn't going to be accidental either. And to think yeah. that it will be is... is is ridiculous really you, you have to be purposeful and you have to make it happen i guess right yeah 100 percent. like yeah exactly like it, it's not by accident that we're in this situation so we have to <laughs> we have to intentionally get ourselves out of it you know and it, it may not happen in this generation you know what i mean <laughs> but we are we are the ones that are calling for change do you know what i mean like and and those old ways of doing things are dying out, you know. That the you know, I, I just don't think that they can be sustained any longer like that. So it's exciting though as well. Like when I when I talk to radio stations and when you talk to the women's council, all this stuff, it it, it like it's painful and it, it's kind of like uncomfortable and horrible because like you know, this is my this is my future, this is my income, this is who I am, but I'm looking forward to like my kids' generation, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and looking forward to the fact that if we talk about this uncomfortable stuff now, that that next generation of girls growing up listening to music, they're going to hear women on the radio and it's not even going to be a, a, an uncomfortable conversation for them, you know. They're going to have to keep the conversation going probably, but like it's not going to be like it is now you know and i suppose that's it's exciting that that we're living in this time that we are we are the people that are talking about this and when it's exciting for the future you know so on your when you say when you say it's uncomfortable is it uncomfortable for you to 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 find yourself in this role is that i mean i, I yeah i i didn't set out to be um, a social activist in any arena you know i mean yeah. i've all, my dad and my mom have always been very political and very socially 
conscience, I suppose, would be the word. Um, but when I, I suppose, when I see things and I feel things that aren't right, I can't be quiet about it. Do you know? <laughs> I just, like, when Linda came to me with that report, it was like, of course, of course, I will stand beside you when you when you when you release this because there no one in Ireland was prepared to do it because they were all worried about being blacklisted from radio and I have the privilege, I suppose, of earning a living over here and if I didn't use that privilege to sort of highlight what was going on in Ireland, then I'd feel a bit like a hypocrite in all and who I am. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. And the same, you know, I've I've had, I had someone, you know, people on social media, you're never supposed to read it, you know, but you do get people being like, why are you supporting the Black Lives Matter movement? And why are you this and why are you that? And, you know, no, no. And they want you to be sitting in their box of what's comfortable, you know. And um, for me, it's not like I actively am going out there trying to find what's going on. But these are my friends. These are my colleagues. This is what is happening. Like there are, you know... 400 indigenous deaths in custody that have never, never been prosecuted. There's never been an awareness over the fact that this is designed by the system, you know, and um, and I, I can't just sit quiet about that, you know, <laughs> and especially with our history as Irish people, like, and, and what we've overcome in 800 years of colonization, like, we are hypocrites if we sit quiet about this. Do you know what I mean? And um, and so I I there it's it's un it's uncomfortable in that like I would love to just sing songs about flowers and you know relationships and love and all that sort of stuff, but <laughs> but there's other people doing that and there there isn't enough you know. Um, it's incredible the power of music, you know, like that song in this house that I sang at the start. Right, mm. I have seen people. Like because it's been picked up by the education system here and, and it was put onto the curriculum in South Australia and I've travelled in schools in Victoria and New South Wales with that song. And it's incredible to watch little kids understand the notion of a welcome to country and colonisation and the invasion of this country through a song about knocking on a door because they can sit there and be like, I don't like when my little brother comes into my room without knocking. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I've had those same conversations with adults. And if I was sitting there trying to preach to them about my political point of view, it's going to go over their head and, and they're not going to want to talk to me. But when you can engage with people in a conversation through music, there's a power in that that can sit in them. Like, I mean, I know myself listening to, you know, Bob Dylan and different songs growing up. Like, I mean, my, my heart opened, my mind opened. I listened, you know, Bob Marley or whoever like you know there's a power in music and um and i i you know people say i'm an activist singer songwriter or you know social activist or, or whatever feminist or whatever this stuff is but for me it's just like i have a platform if i'm not using it to to speak about the times that we're living in and you know the injustices around us as well as, you know, some nice songs about flowers and stuff like that. <laughs> <Aye>. <laughs> then I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I'm missing, you know, I'm missing my calling, I suppose. I don't know. Um, I, I don't want to, I'm going to generalize here anyway, but um, I guess 
talking about you know the, the Irish as being colonized for 800 years I mean I wonder if there has been I, I mean this is a big generalization but in some sense a tendency to think that because we as Irish people were the ones who were suffering the oppression that um, that we were somehow I don't know like that we wouldn't do that ourselves you know what I mean mm. that somehow we have a kind of because of our suffering we have a moral quality that makes us less likely to be as oppressive as say the British Empire you know what I mean mm. yeah and and so I wonder if that kind of goes some way to um go some way to explaining maybe a reluctance amongst some people with in Irish communities to acknowledge their own role in the, to acknowledge the the role of the Irish in oppressing others I guess it's yeah. a very long-winded I mean, I, way of saying it but you you know you know what I'm getting no, at no right? no definitely I mean I think I I've seen you know some of the conversations in Ireland at the moment even around um the black lives matter in in Ireland and, yeah. and people that have grown up black in Ireland and them explaining the racism that they've suffered and you know and and within Ireland people having to be like right this we're doing we're doing what has been done to us like this has to stop you know and um yeah we we're not free from from uh, free from any of it you know like we 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 have suffered and we've caused suffering so you know it's um but you know if if you sit and dig deep and and read and you know learn and um and understand where it all comes from you can also see how as irish people we would assimilate to, to the english way of doing things as well do you know so you you have to, you know, it comes back to just in your own mind, in your own space of working through all those colonial mindsets from all those sides and recognizing that just like we all have racism within us, you know, we all have sexism within us. We've grown up in this time, in this world, and none of us are free from it, no matter what race, religion, country we come from, we've all been fed <laughs> some pretty uh, epic crap, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, it, and I think it's just, it's everyone's personal journey and you don't get a ticket out of it just because you're Irish, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Only before we go, I just wanted to make sure we have all the details for anyone that wants to learn more about anything that we spoke about tonight. So, first of all, um, the best place to to follow you is that Instagram, Facebook. Where should we send people? Yeah, I mean, uh, my website is onyotyrell.com, A-I-N-E-T-Y-R-R-E-L-L. And um, there's Facebook with Onya Tyrell Music and Instagram twitter you know yeah. <laughs> you can find me in all those places and i'll yeah. have links to all this in the show notes as well and then uh, the other things you mentioned you got a, a song coming out um, what, what what's that called and where where is that being released um it's called we call you now and um it's being released on you know all the places itunes spotify 
Facebook. Where, where can people give you money? Then? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that would be direct through my website. If you'd like to buy the track, that would be amazing. And um, yeah, I mean, a, lo- a lot of it revolves around a lot of the conversations we've had tonight. And, and um, yeah, it'd be a good follow up for you if you're looking for more. <laughs> well, Anya, this has been brilliant. Um, if you're hearing a bit of noise in the background, it's because it's chucking it down on the tin roof of this uh, garage. Uh, that I'm in. So, <laughs> I uh, thought I was gonna fuck it down here. <laughs> well, listen, Anya, thank you so much. Would you would you would you do another song for us? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll finish off with one on the banjo, actually. Ah, lovely. Thank you so much, oh, Anya. No, not the banjo. <laughs> you play along on the whistle, Dom. We'll turn your microphone off. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Tony's listening. Um. I know this one goes out to Tony. <laughs> um, this is a, a little song of hope. Um, I when I when I left Ocean Grove, actually, I went a bit further down the coast, and um, before I came up here, and I was near Y River when the um, bushfires went through there a couple of years ago. And you know, being Irish, I didn't really know what to do with a bushfire, and um, in my kind of research on just like trying to stay safe and all that sort of stuff I ended down you know a a rabbit hole of information about it and um what I I found this most amazing fact about a a grass tree which is a native plant that lays dormant on the forest floor like all the time but when a fire comes through it sends off this shoot and then when a rain comes after the fire it makes the most beautiful flower from it and um, it just struck me as such an amazing analogy for life, you know, that we ha- we're in these dark times and then a fire comes through. And I kind of feel like all around the world right now, we're all sort of in this fire. <laughs> um, and then the rain is going to come through and there will be a beautiful flower from it. But none of us know that now or can see what that is. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what's coming, but we don't know that. And so this is a little song I, I wrote about that and about hope. And just holding on for hope in those times. Thanks, Anya, good on you. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks. If I step outside, will I burn in the inferno? Will I freeze all of tomorrow's? If I wage a warmth away, will the regrowth ever look the same? Or will the forest be forever altered? I don't know how to pray, but I'm down on my knees. I don't know what to say. Is 
I can already feel the embers falling I don't know how to pray But I'm down on my knees I don't know what to say I am begging Come see me through Hope will see me through Hope will see me through rise to glory orange skies are warning don't go that way but I am gone I am gone oh at the heart of the grass tree I survive even thrive in the fire and when the rain comes I'll flower when the rain comes I'll flower I don't know how to pray But I'm down on my knees I don't know what to say I am begging Come see me through Hope will see me through Hope will see me through There you are. <laughs>so you can probably hear the rain chucking it down on my roof as we were doing that um chat <laughs> it was belting it down yeah. but um it was great i felt like i was in the room with anya it mm. was brilliant it's really brilliant i felt like i was in the Very caravan relaxed. just yeah. you know and um and but Anya's um only has been doing the online thing for a while we mentioned it in there very briefly but it's definitely worth checking out so only does a weekly virtual cup of tea which started off uh, it was a, um, I think it was it was an album launch was coming up. It was a big event, and it was it was going to be a, a fundraiser. And you know, if you don't get your your um, if you don't hit your pledge amount, then the, the thing doesn't happen. And she decided, well, I'm going to get on there and start talking to people each week. And I think she's up to like 112 at the minute, or 113. And it's it, it's fantastic little like there's only living in the bus there it's set in a lovely setting and she sits with the the, uh, microphone and a guitar or a banjo has a chat in down the camera connects with the fans a beautiful thing and then and now i think um she's actually doing a a second version of it so it starts at like let's say it's sunday at 8 30 all of the actual details will be in the show notes but let's say it starts sunday at 8 30 and then that will go to nine and then the rest will be like a, a patrons only um viewing meeting which is really just a really nice way of an artist being able to kind of move with the technology move with the times and and create content in a different way um i suppose the the most important um website i'll give here everything else will be in the show notes but we'll go to um www.onyaterrell.com a-i-n-e-t-y-r-r-e-l-l com um the patreon the facebook the um why not her the gender disparity report all of the links for all of these will all be in the show notes yeah and actually just mentioning Anya and and patreon because it's coming up to the end of the the episode i like you know i'm going to mention patreon patreon is the only way that people can kind of do the kind of endeavors that we're doing at the moment like we've just had 
it's an hour and a half worth of content no ads no snickers we're trying to be sold here or nike shoes no kids have to work in a factory for, for this and the reason that we can do this only can do as she does is because we have people that believe in the in the product in the piece of content that we're creating each week and if you can throw us a couple of dollars like if you think you look forward to this each week if you can throw us a couple of dollars to pay for the work that we do to to get it in your ears every week brilliant if you can't no big deal as we say look there's other ways to do it share us around but the best way to support us is financially like i hate putting it so bluntly yeah. but it is that's, what it is that's where we're at as this as this project goes on so mm. patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims is the place to go and but as you are gonna hit pause or hang up on whatever app you're watching hit subscribe that's really important hit subscribe it'll tell itunes that were good to listen to and maybe hit that five star review and then head over to patreon all right ah you're a bunch of legends yeah thanks again to you all and thank you tanya terrell see you next week see ya hi my name is Echo. please become a good subscriber to the podcast thank you